in my garage, in my garage, I have four kayaks. Three of them are mine. One I'm storing for a buddy. So anytime I want to get out on the water, I've got options. And yet, I am always dreaming of another boat. <laughs> One that has a comfortable seat. One that has a cup holder. My boats are pre-cup holder boats. <laughs> One that's just a foot longer because it would just cut through the water like no tomorrow. Now, if you ask me, Max Vanderpool, how many boats are enough? My answer to you would be one more, just one more. <laughs> just one more. Now, you might say in response to that, Max Vanderpool, you have enough. You have enough boats. But that's the way it works when it's something you're passionate about, something you're interested in. I know people who are passionate about camping. God bless you. <laughs> you start off with that little camper tent from Target, and then before you know it, you got to have the bedrolls, and it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to a pop-up from there, right? <laughs> uh, for those of you that ha are computer geeks, you can't just have a computer. You've got to have a dual boot hard drive, solid state, a cooling tower. And of course, you wouldn't be using last year's Pentium chip. Who does that, right? And so when it comes to things we're passionate about, we can't always agree on how much is enough. Are two cars enough? What if you have four teenage drivers in your house? Are two cars enough? Remember the day and the time for those of us who are older when there was a conversation and somebody said, wow, you have two cars? Must be nice. <laughs> People said that in America. Or teenagers, surely six megabytes of internet is enough. Surely. I mean, who could possibly need 15 or 50? I mean, and there are places in Lexington that are getting a terabyte of internet. I mean, who could possibly need that? Some of them are like, a terabyte, really? <laughs> okay. Um, or a fridge. When I was younger, I always thought it was the stupidest thing when somebody would have a second fridge. And I remember when I was 20 years old, I knew somebody in their 40s or 50s, and they had a number of teenagers, and they were like, you just wouldn't believe how much milk we go through in a week. And, and I thought, ha, 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 that's so funny and cute and quaint. And then, oh, my goodness, they are right. And can you believe how much milk is? <laughs> okay. So is two fridges? So how much is enough? It's a difficult question to answer in America because in America, lifestyle chases after income. So the way it works in America is if you make $25,000 a year, you're going to spend $25,000 a year. If you make $150,000 a year, you're going to spend $150,000 a year. And if you're on one of these horse farms or whatever here in Jesmond County and you're making $5.7 million a year, guess what? You're going to spend $5.7 million a year. In America, lifestyle chases after income. And in America, not only is that the case, but you're always faced with people who have more than what you have. And it's not uncommon to go on Facebook or Instagram and, and you're scrolling along and you're like, they were just at Disney World this summer and they're there again? Must be nice. 
I hope grandma and grandpa are footing the bill on that one, or you see pictures of Europe, or there's somebody outside with their new Jeep Wrangler or whatever, and you're like, must be nice. How many, like, I won't ask for a show of hands, but isn't it common that out of our mouths in America, when scrolling through social media, the phrase, must be nice, comes out of our mouth or enters into our heads? How weird is that? Must be nice. A 2010 Princeton survey concluded, uh, this is the Woodrow Wilson School of Business, and they did a study, and what they found was that when you had income gains up to $75,000 a year, it actually gave you a boost in your happiness. Can you believe that? So if you went from 50 to 60,000, it was like a little boost in happiness. And what they found was it's because with these jumps in income up to $75,000 a year, it meant that you were better able to handle life's problems. You know, bumps in the road didn't bother you as much because you had more money to throw at things. But anything after $75,000 a year, there's no boost in happiness. Can you believe that? So if you go from 75 to 150, pfft, nothing. If you go from 75 to 5.7 million, pfft, nothing. You get nothing. So apparently money can buy you happiness just up to 75,000 a year. <laughs> After that, you're on your own. How much is enough? How much is enough? I think if most of us were honest, the answer to that question would simply be, just a little bit more than I have right now. Thank you very much. That would be enough. Of course, the irony is that we have a lot more than we used to have. In 2009, I don't know if you know this, there were 58,000 self-storage units worldwide. Of the total worldwide self-storage units, 46,000 of them were located in America. We got the storage nation going on here, right? <laughs> storage wars. 80% of all self-storage units in the world are located in the United States. And in fact, since, that, uh, since 2009, there's actually over 51,000 storage units now in the United States. So that number has gone up. So how much is enough? Um, we have these self-storage units, by the way, because the average home in 1973 was only uh, six, uh, 1,600 square feet. So in 1973, the average home was 1,600 square feet and had 3.3 people living in it. Fast forward to 2004, the average home is 2,400 square feet and has 2.5 people living in it. So in other words, over a 30-year period, houses got bigger, families got smaller, but we ran out of room for all our stuff. <laughs> we ran out of room. How much is enough? Because we look up the economic food chain and we're always looking at people who have more than we have, it never dawns on us that there might be someone further down the food chain who's looking at us and saying to themselves, must be nice, must be nice. We, we miss that. Now, Jesus, in case you wonder where I'm going today, this is my bottom line. Decide now to live on a percentage of your income. 
Make that decision now. I'm going to make a case for that, and I'll be passionate about it. But don't be like the rest of Americans where lifestyle chases income, and you spend 100% of what you make. Uh, and so I'm going to make a case for that today. But Jesus, by the way, had a lot to say about money and stuff. Of the 38 parables that we have in the Gospels, 15 of them are about money and stuff. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels is about the proper use of money and stuff. And so I want to turn to a passage in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 13 to 21. It's a famous story, um, and I want to unpack that for us today. So Jesus is teaching a very large crowd in Luke chapter 12. Thousands of them are milling about. And a man asks a question, and this is the question. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with us, okay? So he asks this question, and I love it because it shows he wasn't listening to Jesus' sermon. Jesus is preaching a sermon, and he's talking about greed and some other stuff, and this guy blurts out, hey, Jesus, the guy wasn't listening to Jesus. <laughs> So I just, as a pastor, I get excited about this. <laughs> you want to know why? Because sometimes I know it's hard to track with what the preacher's doing. Even Jesus had people that were zoned out and totally missing the point. And then like, hey, got a question. Got a question I want to ask, okay? So the question here, is, uh, I need to give you a little background. In case you didn't know this, Jewish law and custom in the first century was a little different than what we have today. So the oldest brother, not the oldest daughter, the oldest brother would get a double portion of the estate. So if you had just two brothers and you had a $750,000 estate, the older brother would get $495,000. The younger brother would only get $255,000. Fair, right? For all of you that are older brothers, you're like, yes! this is a great idea. What's my congressman's contact info? Okay. So because this man has asked this question, we know two things. His father has died and he's gotten something. His father has died and he's gotten something. So Jesus responds, okay? Verses 14 and following. Jesus says this, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus doesn't want to get involved, but immediately warns people of greed. Greed, by the way, is like pride. Greed is easy to spot in your friends. Oh my goodness, Felicia, she is like greedy. It is so hard to see in the mirror. Greed is like pride in that sense. It's easy to spot in your family members. It's really hard when it's you. And so Jesus talks about greed. And there's an old word. We don't use this word anymore. Covetous. When was the last time you heard that word? Everybody's shaking their heads. Well, way back a long time ago in church, we talked about the fact that thou shalt not covet. Covetousness. Uh, covetousness, I would define it this way, wanting more of what you already have enough of. Covetousness, 
wanting more of what you already, the American way of life, really, wanting more of what you already have enough of. Did the younger brother get something? Yes, he got his share. He wasn't happy about it. Why? His brother got more. Again, John's not here so I can tell this story. I did, a te- I did a terrible Jimmy Kimmel experiment my kids years ago. You may remember this, Jill. Um, donuts in the Vanderpool household are rare. I, I, we almost never have donuts. And so the rare occasions that they come in through the door of our house is a big deal. So one day I got donuts, and, and I decided to do an experiment. So I set out three uh, plates at the counter, and... Maddie's plate had three donuts with sprinkles and icing. Jill had a single glazed donut. John had a single glazed donut. So I call them all in, and they come to their seats, and they're kind of getting a look of how things are over, right? And, and my older two children immediately say, Dad, thank you so much for getting donuts. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. <laughs> What, what could you guess would be the first thing they said? Why does she have three? Remember that, Jill? <laughs> Why does she have three? It, now, we almost never have donuts. Did they get a treat? Absolutely. But it was ruined by the fact that Maddie, the youngest, had more. And that's how covetousness works. And so Jesus is basically saying to the guy who asked the question, dude, you're greedy. Like, you can't see it, but you're greedy. And I got to admit, this is kind of fun because he calls the guy out in front of thousands of people, right? (laughs) Talk about getting red-faced, okay? So verses 16 and following, let's continue on. If that weren't enough, if it weren't enough to just get called out right on the spot, he launches into a parable. So he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. So this guy is a successful man. He produces his income through agriculture, and he has a bumper crop. He comes into a big sum of money. It would be the equivalent of if you and I had bought stock in the Ford Motor Company in 2009. If we had done that, if we had been able to put $100,000 or $200,000 worth of Ford stock, we wouldn't need to work the rest of our lives, okay? And so he's come into that kind of money. He has more than enough. He's done nothing wrong at this point. He's just come into a large sum of money. So what does he do with it? That's the next couple of verses. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then, then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He hoards it. He doesn't share any of it. He keeps 100% of it for himself and his family. So what is this guy's problem? Jesus spells it out in in the next couple of verses, um, which I may not have here. Uh, Jesus spells it out. He's got the same problem 
Jesus is telling this story because he's, this guy, the rich guy in the story, has the same problem as the younger brother who asked the question, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the state. They're greedy, and yet neither one sees it. So uh, in building the barns, I want to draw this out. We live in Kentucky, and we, our state is full of beautiful barns, and they put art on them now, the big pictures with quilts and all this stuff. This is not what he's talking about. <laughs> in, in the first century, what they would have done is they would have dug out of the ground stone granaries. And that's where they, it was very expensive to build these things. So in order to store all this stuff, he's engaged in a very expensive proposition to store and hoard all of this grain, which would be worth money. Okay, and so Jesus comes around and tells the rest of the story, and that's verses 20 and following. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This is the ultimate, you can't take it with you, parable. The guy drops dead. He gets nothing. And so now, what's going to happen to all the money, all the grain, all the stuff that he set aside? It's going to go to somebody else, dot, 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 anyway, right? <laughs> it's going to go to somebody else, dot, 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 anyway. In 1898, uh, there was a guy named Yusuf the Turk. He was wrestler. Wrestling was really big in the late 1800s. It's before boxing was a thing, okay? And so Americans would pay big money to see wrestlers go at it. And Yusuf the Turk, he was European champion. And he came over to challenge Strangler Lewis for the American heavyweight championship in wrestling. And Americans were like, oh, Yusuf, we got you smoked, baby. Money bets. It was a $5,000 cash prize. And Yusuf the Turk, he demolished Strangler Yus. Okay, woo, he's champion. He boards a boat. And so for the uh, people that put it on, you get this giant championship belt. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but in boxing in these circles, I mean, they're huge. And it's, it's a lot of metal. And he insisted that they pay him in uh, double eagles, gold, Amer gold coins, okay? And so the $5,000 cash prize he got in gold coins, and he kept it in his belt. And so he gets on the boat, and he's going back home. Nobody's touching my money, huh? okay? Well, the boat sank. And so you're not going to believe this. They got lifeboats in the water. He jumps to make it to one of the lifeboats, but he misses. And, of course, he's got this belt full of gold. And before anybody could get to him, he sank. So Yusuf the Turk and all his gold is on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to this day. Crazy. The people, survivors said, we, you know, we, we, we were going to jump in, but like he was gone. <laughs> we couldn't, I mean, it's blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> you're going you're gonna to remember this story. Blah, blah, blah. So, what does, it, what does it mean to be rich toward God? 
have a rich relationship with God. Jesus is wanting us to be rich toward God and not be greedy or covetousness or, or be covetous. I want to suggest a few things that is culled from many, many pages of Scripture. One thing is that our identity, our identity is rooted in Jesus, not in what we have or what we accomplish. That's the, one of the key ways to being rich toward God, having that matter more than what we have or what we accomplish. Another th- way that we're rich toward God is we, we value what God values, which means we, we value people. We value uh, Jesus' kingdom and, and the expansion of his kingdom. And that ties into number three. We're using the money and stuff that God has given us to be a blessing to others. And, and when we do those things, when those things are true of us, we're actually rich toward God. Um, if you've ever wondered about a test for greed, I actually wrote down a few questions, right? So if you ever wonder, well, am I greedy? I don't know. Uh, do my thoughts run after things more than they run after God? Do I compromise my character to get more money or stuff or opportunities? Um, how do I respond when I lose material things? And because God knew I was preaching this sermon today, on Friday, Jamin knows what's coming, on Friday I had a lunch appointment at, uh, where was I, Cane's. And, uh, and so I pull in, and this guy in a big Ford F-150 pulls in next to my little itty bitty tiny Civic. And so, you know, we're joking as we get out, and I think, I know you from somewhere, and I'm like, you know, that's the thing about a Ford, man, you know. I, it, he made fun of me because I banked the, the, uh, the uh, bumper. And I said, look, in a Civic, if somebody drops a quarter on the pavement, I'm banking it, okay? It's a small car. So, you know, we're yucking it up. And I go through and I sit down with my appointment. And about an hour later, this guy comes in and he sits right next to me. And I'm thinking, well, clearly you have something to say. So, you know, say it, right? And he goes... Well, I was really wrestling. I didn't know what to do. You know, I, the wind was really strong. And when I opened my door, boom, it went into the side of your car. And it, it's a ding. I mean, it's a, it's a good ding. And so, and he's like, I feel like I should give you my insurance. And I said, well, let's go take a look. And so we go look out and he got it good, right? <laughs> and I go, look, the car is 10 years old now, right? I could make your insurance pay. We could do this. I'm going to be out of my car for a week and it's going to cost a lot of money. Just drive away, right? Now, the 20-year-old version of me could not have done that, gang. But, right, how do I respond when I lose material things is an indicator, right? What would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? If the first thing you would do if you suddenly came into the fortune is spend, 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 right? Please don't buy lottery tickets, <laughs> okay? All right? So in light, of, uh, in light of this, I want to ask a couple of questions. What would it take for you to be happier than you are now? And is the answer to that question either more money or money to buy things? And then secondly... Could someone successfully accuse you of being rich toward God based on your level of generosity right now and how free you are from things and possessions? Could someone say, oh man, you're rich toward God, you stinker, right? So how could we apply this? 
Step one, for some of you in this room today, please, I beg you, just get off social media right now. Quit or severely throttle it. Why? Because it is eating away your soul. When you get on, you're like, must be nice, must be nice, must be nice, must be nice. Glad your marriage is doing well. Glad to see all the date nights you're having that I never had. Oh, you're in Florida three times this, you know. You know, it's killing you. It's eating you alive. So please get off. You know what you would be better off doing instead? Getting in your car and going to volunteer and help Paul Huber out at the Jessamine County Food Pantry. You want to know why? You want, one, Paul's a great guy, but two, when you go there and you're helping those clients and you're helping them into their cars, you're going to drive away and you're beat up old whatever and thinking, wow, I've got so much. <laughs> wow, I'm so blessed. Man, I can't believe how hard these people have it. So again, you might want to change your context. So that's one thing that you could do. Another thing that you could do is decide today to start living on a percentage of your income. The government already takes a certain amount anyway. You're already living on a percentage. For some of us, it's 52%. Some of us are doing better. It's like 65%. But you already know this to be the case because what you get paid and then what may actually makes it into the bank, those are two different numbers, aren't they, gang? Let the teenagers need to hear this today. That's two different numbers, isn't it, gang? Yes. <laughs> so make a decision. Make a decision. Live on 95% of your income, 90%, 80%. Pick a number and live on that. What if someday down the road, your bills and expenses were only 60% of what was going in the bank? What could you do? What kind of margin could you have? Would you worry about the next time the fridge broke? And when there was a need, when the Leonards blew into town and were like, oh, we're doing this thing, we could use a motorcycle, like, instead of being like, oh, I can't help, you'd be free. Like, you could be generous in ways that it's hard to be generous now. So pick a percent and actually live on less than what you make. And the last thing is sell, give, and lend. If you haven't used it in the past year, why are you keeping it? Now, I'll answer for some of us. There are emotional reasons that that stuff is there. I have three boxes of emotional reasons stuff in my house. One is a box of letters that Jenny wrote me in 1989. And then there are two boxes of high school and college memorabilia, including my letter jacket. I earned that jacket. And by golly, after I'm dead, my kids are going to have to donate it to Goodwill. <laughs> but anything else, right? Sell, give, lend. Sell it. If you need to make some income because you're short, people in Jessamine County love garage sales. They do. They're like locusts, really. If you put out a sign or an ad, they will come. Um, but give it away. Um, it's amazing if you've got the capacity, if you have an extra car or an extra whatever, somebody else, really? We could have that? So give it away or lend it out. Um, those, those boats that are in my garage, if you've been around generations any, number of any amount of time, you know that you can call Max and Max will lend out his boats, won't he, right? That's another step that I take so that things don't have a power over me and they don't own me, okay? In 1999, Tony Campolo's son founded this thing called Mission Year. 
and they go to three different uh, locations in the United States, and it's designed for high school or college students to spend a mission year after graduation to work among the poor and the destitute. And Tony says that, so I've, uh, Tony Campola would come to Wheaton all the time when I was a student there. And he would come in and, and you just, he'd make you feel guilty for going to Wheaton. I mean, he was just, he was so passionate about the kingdom and how the kingdom should benefit people at the bottom rungs of society. And so uh, he says, parents will ask all the time, is it safe? Is it safe for my son? Is it safe for my daughter? And he says, uh, no, it's not safe. But it's safer than them going straight into college and becoming a lifelong consumer where they spend the rest of their lives on the weekends just shopping and going to the mall and clicking and consuming. It's safer than that. So his perspective is akin to what Jesus was talking about when the guy wasn't listening to his sermon. Earlier, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and following, when the guy wasn't paying attention. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. I tell you who to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. He's the one to fear. In other words, don't lose your soul. Don't lose you. Don't have possessions and everything else destroy you. And then the second thing is advice from Paul. He writes this in 1 Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, if you're in this room, we're in this category. Like the rest of the world, right? When they look at America and Americans, we're rich. Ryan is shaking his head in the back. He goes to Africa frequently, (laughs) okay? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Money is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What I want for you I want you to live. I want you to truly live. And in order to do that, stuff cannot be your master.